0: going as quickly as they could through their worship set. So if it felt a little bit um, hurried, that's, that's, that's my fault. Uh, you can believe me. Um, I wanted to take a few moments aside this morning and address some of the events that we've been experiencing this past week. Um, it would be remiss of me as your pastor uh, to not at least um, weigh in a little bit on this. And, uh, and so I want to take just a few moments And do that. And I want to, I want to do that by, by reading a passage from Ecclesiastes 3. It says this For everything there is a season and a time for every manner under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh a time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away a time to tear and a time to sew. A time to keep silence and a time to speak a time to love and a time to hate a time for war, and a time for peace. You know, this, this past week has been a very challenging week, um, very troubling, in light of the murder of George Floyd um, that, for me, I can only describe as, as a national tragedy. Uh, I'm sure we've seen the videos, and, and to say it's disturbing is, is an understatement. Um, those images are just haunting my head. And um, and, and one thing in particular that, that haunts me is not so much an image as it is a particular voice. Um, I'm not sure who it was, but there was a person behind the video. Maybe it was the person taking the video. Maybe it was someone standing nearby. But maybe you remember hearing something like this. I actually don't have the exact quote because... I couldn't find the video to, to clarify it, but someone was pleading. Um, as, as, as his life was expiring, you hear the voice of someone making this appeal to the police and saying this, something like this, saying, that's someone's life. And, and, and whoever that was, it just impresses me that that person who watched that lifeless body expire had to then leave that scene. That person had to go home that night, and and that person had to try to somehow get some sleep. And and you know, I I don't know how you do that. Um, I pray for that person. Um, I pray for that person that's connected to that voice, and 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 I think that voice articulates what took place at the most foundational level, that that was someone's life. That it wasn't a black man's life, it wasn't a white man's life, it was was a human life, it was an image bearer of God, a person who is created with dignity and worth. And on that level of a human life, What happened is a loss that affects all of us. And taking our cues from Ecclesiastes, I would say that now is the time for weeping. In light of what happened, this is a time for mourning. And I I would say that that is the proper response for this time. And my heart hurts that we couldn't just leave it there. That we couldn't, for this time being, respect that this is the season that we're in and and, and respect the dignity of the loss of a human individual life. Now, now I've got to tell you, I am a little bit of an idealistic person. I have an idealistic streak in me, and it's probably getting in the way of the reality of things. But, but it disturbs me uh, how quickly, how immediately this got turned from a a, a human issue into a racial issue, and that from then has blown up around the around our country, and and this the, and, and because that happened, this immediately turns into an issue that's extremely polarizing, that's extremely divisive, and, and and that's not a surprise to me that that's where our culture is at, um, but I do want to just confess to you that I am angry at the willingness of, of church leaders that I've seen, willing to open that door and walk right through it. And, and and so my social media feed this past week, it was literally filled with half-baked hot takes. and And I got to tell you, they sounded to me more like an echo of what's happening in the world around us then it bears any similarity to the fruit of the Spirit that, that casts anyone who isn't where you happen to be in the worst possible light and, and, and reduces very complex issues, issues that probably have an answer that includes some degree of both and to very simplistic either or, that, that talk over each other and... And i got to tell you, I get enough of that when I turn on cable news. It, it grieves me to hear that from church and ministry leaders. And so, and so here's where I'm at. And, and, and I confess, I, I may be completely off base. Um, but for me, for right now, I am intentionally choosing to view this through the lens of, of human rights instead of civil rights. I, I'm, in, I'm intentionally choosing to respect and honor the dignity of the loss of an individual person whose name is George Floyd. His, his dead body, as I see it, got hijacked for the sake of an agenda, for the sake of a cause, for the sake of ideologies that, I gotta tell you, they're extremely important they matter. They're critical. But to everything, there is a season. For everything, there's a, a time for everything under heaven. And, and I would suggest that now's not the time for that. This, this is the time for tears. Uh, this loss, I believe, affects every one of us. It, it affects us in different ways, but it affects all of us. And so one of the things I've heard people say is, is hey, mourn with those who mourn. And, and my response is that gives away way too much. That gives away far too much. If you are not mourning at what you saw, if this hasn't affected you personally, then something's wrong. Something is really wrong. i got to tell you, I, I'm not sure I can sing God Bless America after seeing what I saw. So so I might suggest that you consider that this is a time to mourn, it's a time to grieve, and it's a time to cry. And, and then what I want to add to that, in my mind, I think it's kind of obvious, but it hasn't been obvious, and so I'm going to say it. During a time of loss, In the wake of seeing what we saw, adding to that, in the middle of a pandemic that's unlike anything any of us who are alive have ever experienced before, I want to suggest that this may not be the ideal time for constructive discussion about very real racial issues that exist in our culture. I may be wrong, but my take is that this is not the time. And I understand why there's a push for that. I get that, that it seems like maybe this is the time to bring something to a head in light of what's going on. But I've got to tell you, I've seen very little constructive. Uh, those, those discussions, they need to happen. And I realize that for me, by saying that now is the, not the time, I am on the hook. I am accountable and responsible to make sure that those discussions do happen, and I do everything that I can to see that that does happen. But as as we proceed, I want to just give you a little bit of of how I'm processing it, and how I might suggest that you process it, process it as well. And um, and, and I I do admit that much of this is is my response to the frustrations that I see um, on my on my media um, wall. So I want to say this first of all, no one needs your hot take. No one needs your hot take. You know, there is what seems to me, and I'm speaking amongst my peers in ministry, a very real pressure to have to weigh in and make a statement on social media because if not, then something must be wrong. And, And here's my take on that. That's great if your goal is to get the applause of the people on your own team. If you want to get the accolades of those who already agree with you, if that's what matters to you, then great. I'm sure you've accomplished that. But if the point is to actually do something constructive that that results in some kind of substantive change taking place, then we're, we're going to need a better strategy than that and and what i want to say is that as the days move forward can we really try to listen hard to to listen to, to 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 embody that passage from james that says everyone should be slow to speak and quick to listen and slow to become angry that that is that is so hard That is so hard. Um, There is a very real temptation to dismiss things that you don't automatically agree with, that don't make sense to you, to blow things off, and it's going to take effort on all of our parts to not just filter what we experience and 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 see through through the lens of our own pre-existing assumptions, our our frames of reference. And so I would say, let the Christians, let us be the ones who listen, who have a hunger to learn. And, and I would say that, as James says, let everyone be quick to listen. That, that applies to every side of where you may stand on this debate. It's not that just I have to listen to you or, or you have to listen to me we need to listen to each other. That's that's critical. Next point is, from where I stand, it seems to me like the script for where we go from here has yet to be written. And this is what I see, that no one has a clue. That, that there are people who say, yes, I am an expert on how to navigate these things, I don't believe it. I don't see that there is any authorities on the subject for how to proceed from here. This script is going to get written, and we are all, myself included, we suck at navigating this, to be very blunt. Now, the reference point in our culture, I think it's a really good one. It seems to be everyone kind of harkens back to MLK, Martin Luther King Jr., and that's a great reference point to look back to, to see how to proceed from, from here. But what I want to add to that is, let's not just go back to MLK. Let's, let's reference who MLK referenced. You know where his frame of reference was for proceeding? It was JC. It was Jesus Christ. So, so let's keep him, and let's keep his ways front and center. I also want to say this. This is a great time for the people of God to love the church, to, to love the church. Because I think deeper than anyone's social media posts and hot takes, the very best response that we have is, is seeing the kingdom culture expressed, reflected at a local body of Christ. And so what I want to please suggest, and again, a lot of this is responsive. I'm still, I, I got to say, I'm, I'm angry. Uh, but I've, I've seen people, this is an opportunity to browbeat the church for not fitting the church into the agenda that they want. If you don't proceed this way, if you don't respond this way, then, then you're not the church. And don't be surprised at this or that. And, and I want to tell you, our, our mandate as Christians we are not tasked with solving the racial problem in our society. Okay, that, that burden has been taken off our shoulders. But our mandate is this. It's, it's to cultivate a kingdom community amongst us. One that reflects the values of the heart of God. And by extension, is able to infect the culture around us with that as much as possible by being salt and light. And so that when people around the world step into the culture of a church, they see on earth as it is in heaven. They see glimpses of the heart of God. And I just want to say, I, I love our church. I'm so blessed at Lakeview Community Church, not, not because of anything else but the people. We've got a beautiful community here that God has blessed us with. We're far from perfect, but you know what I love? Is that we are united under the banner of the authority of Jesus Christ. And that means that people from every tribe, nation, socioeconomic point of view, you name it, You know, we've we've got people from different ethnicities uh, and, and we're all able to get along. And it's a beautiful thing. And we love each other. And we don't see each other strictly through the lens of ethnicity, of socioeconomics. We see each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, imperfectly to be sure, but it's a beautiful thing. Lastly, I want to say this come quickly, Lord. Our, our world is a mess. And the ultimate answer is, is come quickly, Lord. We, we need Jesus. We need him to come. And, and until that day comes, we work for and we push for incremental changes that can be made, that need to be made, and we don't stop short of everything that can be done. But that, that revolutionary change that we long for in our hearts, that we know needs to happen, that's going to happen when Jesus shows up. And we look forward to that day. All right, again, if I've said anything that offends you, um, let me just apologize right now. That is not my intent. I, I, I admit, I'm, I'm really, I really, I got strong emotions and, and a lot of them, are kind of angry, uh, and I'm processing through that. I hope anything that I've said hasn't come across in anger. And now I'm going to really try hard to pray and transition to a a great passage, which I'm really excited uh, to speak on with you this morning. So let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for a new morning, for the reminder that your mercies are new to us today, and we need them so badly. Every one of us. I, I need your mercies right now. And I pray, Lord, that, um, oh Lord, that you would just show us your will, that you would just pour hope and comfort, peace, encouragement, strength, perseverance, Lord, into our lives. We need it. This is, this is a tough season for so many of us in so many ways, Lord. And yet you are sufficient. And so, Lord, we pray now. As we always do, Lord, that as we open up your word, Lord, open up our hearts. Lord, speak life to us and help us, Lord, to, to not just learn new head knowledge information, Lord, but may you use this time, Lord, to to bring that lasting life transformation from the inside out that you alone can bring by your Holy Spirit. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right. So in First uh, Samuel chapter seventeen, uh, read the story that uh, I'm going to just start out and, and start reading here. Um, it's a familiar one. I think you're gonna I think you're gonna you're gonna like this one. It says this: Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Sokoth, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Sokoth and Azekah and Ephesdanim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up a line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, and the Israelites stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath. All right, I'm going to stop there. Before we go any further, I am going to just make a request of someone in this room, if they would just mind turning that TV around so I can see it, because my eyes are getting bad and I can't read my Bible. Um, and no one's looking at that anyway, so I'm, I'm going I'm to just take over that TV monitor. Um, here's what I want to start out saying. There are no such thing as obstacles to God. There's only opportunities that he will use to reveal to his people how awesome and powerful and faithful he is. But those opportunities often appear to us in the form of impossible situations. Situations that go way beyond what we can accomplish in our own strength and our own power. But it's when we hit those points that we're challenged to step out in faith and And, and see how God wants to work. That's kind of the thread that's going to weave this passage together this morning. And we're going to walk through the story of David and Goliath. And, and I start out with just a couple of disclaimers first that, that if you're familiar with the story, and I'm sure many of you are to don't check out, stay tuned. There, there may be more to this story than you know. Don't don't check out. Second, uh, I want to tell you that uh, this is a long passage. Uh, there's a lot here. And I'm going to do my best to work through it at a good pace. And then finally, I want to make one uh, final interpretive disclaimer. And that is, I, I want to challenge us to go beyond looking at this story with a cut-and-paste application technique. All right? Um, I have to admit, I've preached this that way in the past, and I'm not comfortable with that at this point in my in my life, um, you know. And so what I'm saying is, is, let's not look at it just this way. You know, David faced giants in his life, and we have giants in our life. And so whatever obstacle you have, let's cut and paste that and make that Goliath. Uh, no, I I don't want to I don't want to do that. Um, that kind of turns this story into a formula, kind of like if, this, then, that, or do this, not that. And then we kind of come up with this expectation that this will be the outcome. And, and I don't think that's, I don't think that's the point. This is a, This is a historical event. It's descriptive. I'm not sure it's meant to be a repeatable, prescriptive. Uh, thing here now that doesn't mean there aren't some take-homes here there's some major major application points but um i'm just asking let's let's be slow with the cutting and pasting and again true confession part of the reason i'm starting with that is because if someone comes up to me afterwards and says corona is our goliath i might really not react well i'm just telling you i might not react well um, so so let's learn, let's look and see how God worked through this story, through David's life and, and the Israelites in this episode, and maybe start to understand how he's at work in our lives and our situation here and right now. Um, so the, the scene opens up on a battlefield and the Israelites and the Philistines are going at it again. It was a very common thing. Uh, The Israelites are up on one hill. The Philistines are on the other hill. And there's this valley between them where it's all going to go down. Um, and, And in ancient times, fighting was a fact of life, right? Being in battle was nothing new for the Israelites. They've done that before. They had trained fighting men. They had tactics. They had a battle strategy in place. But then something that they never expected something they had no plan for, stepped onto the scene. His name is Goliath, and the passage describes him as a human fighting machine. Here's what it says. It says, And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze, and he had bronze armor on his legs, and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spears and the weight of the head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and his shield-bearer went before him. All right. And he stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? And says this when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. So you know, in in 1940, the Guinness Book of World Records, it actually includes a man from Illinois, his name is Robert Wadlow, and he stood eleven, I'm sorry, eight feet eleven inches tall. One inch away from being nine feet tall. There's another man in the Ukraine alive today who's expected to even grow taller than that. And I guess the point is that there are some big dudes out there, right? This is not just a fairy tale. Goliath measured in at nine and a half feet tall. He's got this coat of armor that weighs 125 pounds alone. And he is geared up in high-tech body armor And and its armor that surpassed anything that the Israelites had ever seen before. And the point is this, no one expected Goliath. There was no contingency plan in place for an armored giant. And so he starts in and he starts calling the the Israelites out. Send out the best that you've got to fight me and we'll do a winner-take-all battle. His assumption is that you guys don't have an answer for me. I'm bigger, I'm stronger, and I'm better equipped than anything that you've got. And the insults, they weren't just limited to the Israelites. They, they were also aimed at Israel's God as well. He's saying, your God is no match for me. Now, now remember, right, the Israelites are God's chosen people. They had been set apart to accomplish God's purposes on earth and, and, and their God, the Lord God, claimed to be Lord of all. He he wasn't just some limited territorial regional God. He was the Lord of heaven and earth. And, and their God assured them that he would bless them, that, that he would lead them in victory so long as they built their lives around him. So long as they followed him and trusted him and, 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 and aligned their lives around his will. That, he said, always have been and always would be the ultimate issue. But then Goliath shows up. And he says, basically, it's time for you and your God and your faith and all that stuff. It's time to tap out. He says, I am the new reality on the scene and you have to deal with me. I am the reference point for your lives from now on. Let's go back to where we started. There's no such thing as an obstacle to God. There's only opportunities that he uses to reveal to us how awesome and faithful he is. And these opportunities often come cleverly disguised as impossible situations. And when we face these impossible situations, there's two ways to respond. One is to tap out in fear. The Israelite army, the passage tells us, They were dismayed and terrified. Verse 16 says every day Goliath would call them out and dare someone to fight them. But every day on cue, the entire Israelite army would run away, run for cover, and do nothing. And that exact scene repeated itself, rinse and repeat, for 40 days. It kept on happening. That's a, that's a snapshot of what fear does. It paralyzes. And, and so the Israelites are stuck. Their obstacle, owned them. And that's what happens when fear is in the driver's seat of our lives. But there's another way. There's an alternative to fear, which is to respond in faith. And that response, it gets modeled for us in the most unlikeliest of lives. In a boy named David... And I want you to just listen as we read about David described in this passage. I think it's as if God were saying, just look at what I'm willing and able to do even through the most ordinary, overlooked life. With the meagerest of life who just simply chooses to trust me. And and make no mistake, the intended response as we read through his life is for us to look at our own lives and say, I can do that. I can do that. And so, and so here's what it says it says, Now David was the son of Jesse, who had eight sons. The three oldest sons had followed Saul to battle, but David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. And Jesse said, Take for your brothers this parched grain and these ten loaves and carry them quickly to the camp of your brothers. Also, take these ten cheeses to the commander of their thousand. See if your brothers are well and bring some token. From them all right, um, let's just keep on going to it says this, and David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran and greeted his brothers, and he talked with them as, as he talked with them, behold the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. David heard him, and David said. What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And when the words that David spoke were heard, they, replied, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. And Saul said to David, David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth. And he's been a man of war from his youth. Okay, so, so we're seeing in, in, in David this profile of faith, that profile of someone who trusts God. And, and I want to just lay out four C's. Uh, conviction, character, confidence, and courage. The first, the first is Conviction. Um, The first question that David asks is this. He asks, who is this guy? Who is this Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Now now make no mistake, David saw the same giant that everyone else saw. And he's not delusional. He's fully aware that he is no match for any giant. But what he recognized is that who he is is isn't the issue. That doesn't really matter. The issue is, who is God? And and he is viewing the world through the lens of who his God is. And that is the fundamental paradigm shift that faith brings us to. And it changes everything. And what I want to tell you is that the best news you may hear this morning is how little... What God wants to do depends on you, and how much of it depends on God. It's about Him. It's about who He is. It's about what He wants to accomplish. And that's something that the rest of the people, everyone from David's brothers to King Saul, they just couldn't they, they couldn't get. they couldn't see past the person. But the most critical question. All the time is the question of who is God. A.W. Tozer actually wrote that that is the most important question before the believers anytime. time. And the reality is this. God wasn't shocked when Goliath ran into the scene. And he's not threatened by any of the obstacles that come crashing into our lives either. Faith brings in that conviction that God is large, that God is in charge, and whatever it is that we may be facing that's too big for us, and there's a lot that's too big for us, nothing is too big for him. And that conviction gives us the fuel to press on, to keep on going, and to move forward. That's conviction. I also want to talk about character. Um, David, David has this conviction but he didn't just muster it up in that moment you know the big moment came and it wasn't like he says okay i can do this you know it's something he had consistently cultivated all throughout the course of his life let's let's look at what he tells Saul he says this your servant whoop, back one your servant used to keep sheep for his father and when there came a lion or a bear And took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. All right. Um, So this is talking about a track record of faith a track record of trust that had been built up. And what I want to say is right now, during the everyday, ordinary, mundane moments of life, when, when no one's watching and you're on your own and it's just between you and God, build up a track record of trust. The mundane moments matter. So David's alone, he's out in the fields, he's watching sheep, there's no crowds around, there's no audience cheering him. And he says this, yeah, I chased down some bears. I chased down a lion. Now, I don't know about you, but that's that's no joke. That's that's serious stuff. You know, he could have just made the choice to just, eh, let's just let that sheep go. We'll chalk that one up, you know. But he chose to chase it down. He chased down the bear. He chased down the lion. That's, that's bold. And when he took that bold step, what he found is that God met him there. And through those moments... He built up this track record that God can be trusted, that he is good, and that confidence rose in him. And it's those character-shaping, off-the-radar screen choices, those moments, and how we decide. Those little things, those prepare us for the big things. We don't have to go chasing them down. They'll come to us when the time is right. So at this point now, now David's about to head into the ring and and Saul is finally going to consent and then he offers David his own armor and and David has the soundness of mind to decline. Here's what it says. It says, then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of browns on his head and clothed him with with a coat of mail and David strapped his sword over his armor and he tried in vain to go for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off, and he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them into a shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. So we, we looked at uh, con- conviction with the character. The next C is, is confidence. Confidence. And and, and what this reminds me is this, this one of the 101s of triathlon racing. What they say is nothing new on race day. They say if you haven't tested it in your training, don't wear it at the race. You will regret it. And in this scene, for what's going down for David right now, he understood that he had never been in battle armor before. It wasn't his. You know, Armor like that was something only the very elite, the very wealthy could afford, and, and, and it was way out of reach for him for a common boy like David. And, and it also would have been custom-made to fit Saul, who, if you remember from last week, right, we learned that he is the tallest man in the whole land of Israel. So it wasn't going to fit David, but he had the confidence, he had the good sense to take it off. And so he lays down Saul's armor and he picks up the weapons that he had tested, the ones he knew, the ones he had mastered, the ones he was familiar with through his days of being a shepherd, a staff and a sling. Now, all right, here's what I got to tell you. Like when we hear this word sling, right, we think of that, um, that run-of-the-mill kid's toy, you know, the one used in the backyard, a uh, slingshot. But, but this is not a slingshot. This is a hand sling. It's a projectile weapon. Uh, it's made out of a long strip of leather. It has a pocket in the middle. And it's designed to carry and to hold a stone. Okay, now it's a, it's a, a stone. David didn't kill Goliath with a pebble. He killed him with a stone. Hand slings launched stones. They were about the size of a baseball. And, and furthermore, uh, furthermore, if someone who knew how to wield that weapon was capable of air mailing a stone over 60 miles an hour. In addition to that, a hand sling also had pinpoint accuracy. In Judges 20, chapter 20, verse 16, it describes, as part of Israel's army, they had skilled slingers, they call them. And it says this, they could sling a stone at a hair and not miss. That's that's how precise this weapon was that, that David was picking up. And, and so this isn't just, you know, oh, I got nothing. This is a strategic choice and he is going for, for the sharpshooter. That's what he's going for. So, so okay, let's, let's just take a quick time out. What do we see happening here? What is going down here? here here's what I see. God is using who David was, not who he wasn't. God is using what David knew. The only weapon that he was comfortable with, that was the only weapon that gave him any chance of victory. A precise, clean shot from mid-range. Because if he got it to -to hand-to-hand with a giant, it's not going to go well. But God chose the right person, with the right training, at the right time. And here's the thing, David had the confidence to trust that. Don't think you have to reinvent yourself into something you're not to be used by God. That's, that's, that's something you want to learn as quickly as possible. It's something as a pastor, I've had to learn and relearn on a continual basis. I've had, I've had no shortage of really good people who care about me, give me all kinds of advice that's good for them that doesn't fit me. Let me give you a couple of examples. I've had pastors tell me, if you want to be a good pastor, you have to be an extrovert. Well, I'm not. You know, they may need to be an extrovert for their ministry and their setting, but that's not me. You know, I I love people, but I, I definitely lean more on the introvert side of things. I've had people tell me, pastors again tell me, that if you want to grow your church, you've got to be a hugger. Uh, man, you people who know me if you know me great if that works for you and i'm not anti hug i know sometimes i get the uh, reputation of anti hug um, i'm not anti hug i'm just i'm not the one who's going to you know go out and arms extended all the time it's just not who i am what i am is you know i'm, I'm kind of uh, a teaching kind of guy i got a teaching gift that's kind of me you know i'm i'm not highly emotional you you know that um I will say, I do tear up when I watch Annie, um, but other than that, you know, I'm pretty kind of steady as she goes. But that's that's just who I am. And, and and so, who are you? You see, God has shaped you in the unique way that you are, because there is a unique impact that He has in mind for you to accomplish. And so, if you look at your life and you say, "I'm not like him or her," That 's by design that's not a mistake it's by a design and and God wants to use who you are and so just uh, just have the confidence uh, to trust that that God wants to use who you are. all right we're going down with it we're going to follow David now as he steps into the ring let's keep reading. Um, This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands." Okay, so, so where we're at right now is this is a little bit of what you might call the pre-battle trash talk. But it's a whole lot more than that. Uh, the sea, this, this sea is, is the sea of courage. Courage, right, right in the middle of the biggest battle of David's life. Do you see what he's doing? He's reciting who his God is. And, and, and that's a great model for us to follow during those times when we're in the thick of things. Speak out who your God is. Let the world know how great and mighty and awesome he is. And then put that truth on repeat. Because everybody else here is focused on who David is. You know, Goliath actually, he's insulted. He's insulted that, uh, that he's got to face up against a boy with a stick. But David's locked in. He's locked into who God is. Look at what he says about his God. He says, he says, I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel. He says this, this day, not me, but the Lord is going to hand you over to me. And he says this, the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it's not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. The battle is the Lord's. He, he's locked in to the Lord. Let me repeat it one more time. There's no such thing as an obstacle to God. There's only opportunities that he will use to reveal his strength and his glory to his people, and he longs to do that. And these opportunities often present themselves in our lives in the form of impossible situations. Now, the time for talk is over. The time for action has arrived. Let's see how this all goes down and how David stepped out in faith, ran to the battle, and took decisive action. It says this, When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to David, David ran quickly toward the battle line. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hands of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. All right. You know, there's a real temptation in our lives to stop short of taking action. You you may know who you are. You may be able to articulate who God is. But when it comes down to it, when it comes down to taking that step and moving forward, that's, that's where it's easy to stall out. David shows us that faith steps out in courageous, decisive action. And here's what it look like. I just, just, just want to chart it a little bit because I think sometimes we can... We can miss out on the miracle of what's happening here. So, so first what happens is the stone hits Goliath directly in the forehead. That's, that's not the miracle, right? We've already looked at the accuracy of a hand sling and what it's capable. And the stone hits Goliath where? In the critically exposed area, the only exposed area on him. The rest of them is all suited up with armor and it sinks into his head which isn't, again, it's not hard to believe. He's he's got a five-pound rock traveling at 60 miles an hour, and it hits him. It's going to go down. Um, It says, Goliath fell forward. Again, that's not surprising. doesn't matter how big you are. If you get a blow to the head, to the cranium like that, it's going to knock you down. And then finally, what it says is, David runs up, he he picks up Goliath's sword, he kills him with it, and then he cuts his head off, and we didn't read it, but uh, later on in the passage is going to tell us that uh, he carries Goliath's head back to Jerusalem. And, and I don't know about you, but to me that's the coolest part of the whole story. You know, if you're a guy and you like these action movies, you just picture this kid carrying a giant's head all the way back to Jerusalem. Uh, but the miracle is that it's not that a tiny pebble somehow killed a great giant. The miracle is that God raised up the right person of faith with the right training into the right situation. And that person stepped out in faith. The miracle is how God used someone who was willing to trust him to reveal and be a part of God showing his people who he is. So what we see David, what we learn from him is that he had a model that that, that Nike had a while back. Just just do it. Just do it. Do it. That's not a bad motto. Set aside the passivity <clears throat> and and take action. You know, this whole story is really it's just a it's a snapshot of this sovereign intersection where there's this this head-on collision between what God wants to do and His people hitting up against this obstacle that's standing in the way of that. You know, and we've been told intersections are dangerous places to hang out, but But you know what? Intersections are where God calls us to go. Not to the side of the road where everything's safe. He calls us to move forward with conviction, with character, with confidence and courage and to go for it. And so as we see that and we see how God worked in this situation, my hope is that we are able to look at our own lives, the details, the story that's unfolding with us, And just ask, Lord, how are you at work? What are you doing? And and lastly, I think as we read this, it's important to note that uh, we would all like to identify with David. We all, if we're going to put ourselves as a character in the story, we want him. I want to be David. But ultimately, the reality is, most of the time, if we're honest, is we we really identify much more with the Israelites and with Saul? They saw the giant. They cowered away in fear. And they're paralyzed. You know who David is? David is Jesus. David is David is is the Jesus who came, who didn't kind of show up with a whole lot of fanfare. Not a lot of people, and we're overly impressed with who he was and what he did, but. But he went and he proceeded to do everything that his father called him to do. He lived that life of faith. And through what he accomplished on the cross, when he laid down his life, God took the most impossible situation that you and I have ever known. It's the impossible situation of our status before God and the consequences of our rebellion and our sin that left us isolated, cut off from the Father who loves us, and through Jesus and his death on the cross and what he accomplished, he turned that impossible situation into the ultimate opportunity where he showed how great, how awesome, how marvelous he is. And so as we close this morning, let's be making much of Jesus. He is our champion. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for this time and for for this episode, this snapshot of how you're at work, and you are still at work, and we thank you for that. And we just pray, Lord, that we would continually move forward, Lord, um, through the power of your Holy Spirit, to be the people that you call us to be. And Lord, keep our eyes on Jesus, the the founder, the author, and the perfector of our faith. It's in his name we pray. Amen.